We're now going to read from the first half of the Bible, part that's called the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, because it was that covenant made before the coming of the Christ, uh, but looking to the coming of the Christ. Uh, the book of Genesis, if you're using the Church Bible, it's page 16. If you're using your own Bible, it's Genesis chapter 16. And we want to read from chapter 16, uh, verse 1, uh, to chapter 17, and verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child. You will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was six, sorry, 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. Amen. We are at present 
um, looking at the life of Abraham, a man who lived about 4,000 years ago. Uh, and that was about 2,000 years before Jesus came. And yet, when we look at this man's life, as it is recorded in the Bible, we discover that here is a man who had a real, personal, saving faith in Jesus. Now, he didn't know near as much about Jesus as you and I know, but yet he had enough, he knew enough about Jesus in order to trust him as a saviour and to serve him as his Lord. And the title of our series of sermons on the life of Abraham is Living by Faith in Jesus, or Living by Faith in the Son of God. And this morning we come to Genesis chapter 16 and page 16 in the Church Bible. Now, if you were church last Lord's Day, you'll realize that Abraham had a mountaintop experience last time. Because the Lord appeared to him, and the Lord renewed his twofold promise to Abraham. He said to Abraham, I am going to give you many, many descendants. In fact, Abraham, I want to take you outside, I want you to look up at the night sky, and if you can count the number of stars, then you'll know how many descendants you're going to have. And of course, boys and girls, we know it's not possible to count the number of the stars. But then the Lord also said to Abram, I am going to give to your family this land that you're now in. It's not going to happen immediately, but way down the line, 400 years from now, your family are going to inherit this whole land. What wonderful, wonderful promises Abraham is given. They are rich and they are precious. And we might have expected, when we would come now to Genesis chapter 16, uh, Abraham would be moving forward as a Christian, the wind would be in his sails, and he would be strong and unshakable and unmovable in his faith. And if we think that, or if we thought that, we're in for a real surprise. Because Genesis chapter 16 shows us a man who's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet... He acts in unbelief. He behaves in a foolish way. He is disobedient to his Lord. And uh, he acts in a cowardly way as well. And he doesn't fulfill his role as a husband uh, 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 to his wife. He walks into sin. And he leads his household into sin and disobedience with him. And I hope that we can see the relevance of that for our own lives before we go any further. When we come into church in the Lord's day, I trust that it is, by God's grace, something of a mountaintop experience. That we're refreshed 
and blessed in our own souls as we sing these songs about Christ together and as we learn about Christ together through the lives of others like Abraham. But then you and I go out tomorrow and we go into the world. And we can very quickly, like Abraham, uh, topple from the mountaintop experience right into the slough of unbelief and disobedience. I wonder if that happened to any of us during this past week. We saw last Lord's Day morning uh, how the Lord had promised Abraham protection and provision and many descendants posterity. And those are real promises to us. And yet, have we gone out this past week and we've acted and lived in a way which has suggested the Lord does not protect us and the Lord does not provide for us and the Lord is not giving us um, spiritual descendants. We're looking at this chapter this morning then, looking only this morning actually at verses 1 to 6 and next week we'll look at the rest of the chapter. But our title this morning is Living by Faith but Acting in Unbelief and Disobedience. Do you realise that's possible? It's possible for you and I to be saved in Christ living by faith and yet to be acting at any moment, at time in our lives in unbelief and disobedience. Let's see how this is possible. As we look at, first of all, the problem Abraham and Sarai face. The problem they face. And it's highlighted in chapter 16, verse 1. We've been already made aware of it uh, back in chapter 11, when we were first introduced uh, to Abraham. We were told in chapter 11, verse 30, Now Sarai was barren, she had no children. That was ten years ago. But look at the situation now in chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had no children. There is the problem. There is the problem. That Abraham and Sarai live with month after month, year after year, and their expectations have been dashed. And we need to bear in mind that this couple have been married for probably 50 plus years by this stage. Abraham is now 85 years of age. And although they've been promised on three occasions by the Lord that they will have many descendants, they don't have a single child or heir to their name. Verse 3 tells us, as I mentioned already, that they've been in the land for ten years. And they're living by faith. And they're living in obedience. And they're bearing a testimony to the Lord in the land. And they've experienced much blessing from the Lord. They have many sheep, many cattle, many donkeys, many camels, 
as we saw back in chapter 13, and indeed Abraham has 318 men who are his farm laborers. But the problem still persists. They haven't a child. Despite the Lord's promise. And as they look back into their family history, the pain of this is exacerbated for them further. Because when you go back to Genesis chapter 12, you find that their ancestors for generations, well, they were having children by the time they were in their 30s. And they were having many children. Now, granted, Abram's father, Genesis uh, chapter 11, was an exception in that he did not have children until the age of 70. But even by that reckoning, Abraham is away beyond that because he is now 85. He's in middle age and beyond middle age as is Sarai. And there's still no child. No descendant. No heir. And the thing that's so hard for this couple to, to live with and to accept is this. There seems to be a huge gap in their lives between what the Lord has said in his word. Three times. You're going to have children. As numerous as the stars in the sky. As numerous as the dust on the ground. That's the promise. They know what the word says. But the awful reality for them is that it's not their experience presently. And they don't have any children. And in the East, this was a major disgrace then and still is today not to have children. And so for all of these reasons, they feel the pain of this very, very intensely. They live with it every single day of their lives. And indeed now they've reached the point that it's hoping beyond hope, they believe. And they're beginning to despair of the promise of the Lord being fulfilled in their lives. That's the problem Abraham and Sarai face. Now, do you know anything of that kind of problem? Where we have the promises of the Word of God and we read them and they're rich and they're precious. And yes, they fire up our faith. And as we read them, they put backbone into us. And we say, yes, this is how to live. To trust the Lord, that he's with me, that he will protect me, that he will bless me, that he will provide for me, that he will work in the lives of my children, that he will work in the lives of others, bringing salvation but then perhaps there's the sad reality that you're living in very real circumstances 
and you feel the pain between the promise of the Lord and the reality of your experience. What are believers to do when they reach middle age and the promise of God remains unfulfilled? What are we to do when we've been walking in faith and obedience for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years and we're not seeing or experiencing the blessing of God as we had expected it. Bring it down to concrete terms. What is a Christian woman to do? If she longs to marry, and now she is, she believes, beyond or getting beyond marriageable age, she's never had a date. What is a couple to do? If they long to have children, but no child is conceived five, ten years into their marriage. What is the Christian to do if they have prayed for years for their children or the members of their family circle to be saved? And they're not seeing the reality of that happening in the experience of their family. What is a church to do if her witness to Christ and her outreach is not bearing fruit after, to use the figure in this passage, of ten years of faithful witness? I ask you, are you in church this morning as a believer? You're conscious of some promise of God and his word that you believe is right and legitimate for you to pray for and to expect to be realized in your life. But here you are two, five, ten years down the line and it has not yet happened. What's the temptation when that's the case? The temptation is we will help God alone. A little bit of our do-it-yourself. A little bit of DIY. And that will, that will change the situation. Perhaps God expects me and wants me to do something. That's why this promise is not being fulfilled. And I need to take things into my own hands. That brings us then secondly this morning to the proposal Abraham and Sarai pursue or adopt. The proposal they pursue. When we look at this chapter, chapter 16, against chapter 15, then the spotlight actually is falling on a different place. In chapter 15, the spotlight was falling on Abraham and his struggle with the promises of God. And of course, that's a very serious thing because Abraham is the head of this believing home and he's to give leadership. And if he loses sight of the promises of God, well then, the wife, the wife and the household potentially are going to lose faith as well. 
But the Lord has strengthened Abraham in his conviction about those promises. And here now in chapter 16, the spotlight has shifted. It's now on Syria. It's now on Syria. And now we're seeing her struggle and how she feels and what she thinks and what she understands and what she proposes about this situation. And of course, as we'll see in a moment, the tragedy is that Abraham, the head of the home, doesn't help her to think and to understand and to act differently. Surely the Lord assured him in Genesis chapter 15 that he should and could be that support and reassurance to his wife in Genesis chapter 16. But the failure in Genesis chapter 16 is as much, if not more, Abraham's than Sarai's. Husbands and fathers, it is your responsibility, it's your privilege, it's your calling to lead your family in the way of faith. And when your wife is struggling with some issue in her life, or some issue in the family, you are to bring the comfort of God's word. You're to bring the reassurance of God's word. You're not to bring your own ideas. You're not even to listen. Well, yes, you're to listen to understand, but you're not to listen to follow her thoughts of how the matter could be sorted about. It's your calling to be a priest in your home and to be a prophet in your home and to be a king in your home. To pray and to teach in your home and to lead your home according to the word of God. And that's the great tragedy here. As we'll see in a moment, Abraham doesn't do that. He abdicates that and brings disaster to his family as a result. So it's right we should understand Sarah's struggle. And husbands, you've got to understand the struggles of your wives with the way of faith. And uh, their role as mothers in the home. So what is Sarai saying? Well, she is concluded. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the hindrance to receiving the son God has promised. Verse 2, the Lord has kept me from bearing children. Is that simply a hunch that she has? Or is there some way in which the Lord has made that clear to her? We're not told. But she's right. She is, in fact, the reason, as it turns out, why this couple cannot have children. But the way in which they handle the situation is what is where things go wrong. Look at the solution that Sarai proposes. It seems very practical. It seems very reasonable. Look at it, verse 1. She had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. 
And then she says, verse 2, to Abraham, go sleep. Here's the solution to the problem that she is. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, we've got to understand the culture of that day. And the culture of that day is this, that this actually was perfectly acceptable. Perfectly normal. If you'd have walked down the road and passed a number of families uh, or got into a town, you would have found any number of couples in this situation whereby they had built a family not through the marriage relationship originally, but through the husband taking a maidservant and having a child through that union. So it's custom and practice. It's also actually part of the law of the land in these ancient cultures and civilizations. An early Babylonian king of this period produced or drew up a legal code for his um, citizens. And law 146 apparently permits a wife to give her female slave to her husband to bear children. So Abraham and Sarah were able to look around and say, well, this is what happens in society. This is what uh, the law of the land allows. And surely this is what common sense would tell us to do. But look at verse 2. The second part of the verse. Because here now we have God's commentary on this. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Or Sarai. It literally is Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And then look at verse uh, 3. Um, Sarai, the middle of the verse, his wife took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Sarai took and gave to her husband. Do we hear any echoes in our minds? Abraham hearkened to the voice of his wife. Sarai took and Sarai gave to her husband. Well, it's Genesis 3. It's Genesis 3 all over again. But the verbs are exactly the same. In Genesis chapter 3, the Lord speaks to Adam and says, You hearkened to the voice of your wife. In Genesis chapter 3, we're told that Eve looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she took and she gave to her husband. And so Moses, as he records this event, draws a parallel between what is happening now in the lives of Abraham and Sarai and what happened back then in Eden in the lives of Adam and Eve. 
this is unbelief. This is disobedience on the part of Abraham and Sarah. And you see, Abraham, like Adam, knew the word of the Lord. And Abraham should have brought the word of the Lord to bear in the situation. He should have been a restraint on his wife. And he should have been an encouragement to his wife. Saying, no dear, here's what God says. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to trust him. We're going to act in obedience. But instead, Abraham abdicates his role. And God considers Hagar to be his wife. To be Abraham's wife. He's taken another wife to himself. Contrary to Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 uh, where the man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So there's the proposal that Abraham and Sarai pursue in unbelief and disobedience. And again, we've got to understand ourselves and we've got to know ourselves as Christians. This is not just history or theology. This is practical Christian experience. And you and I, as believers, and in our families, with our spouses, with our children, when there are problems that arise, we can come up with proposals and solutions that, yes, they're custom and practice. Other people around us walk down the street and you'll find your neighbours who are not Christians doing these things. And we may well be able to say, this is not illegal. And we might be able to say, this makes perfect good sense. But the question is, does it honour the Lord? Have we sought the Lord before we've gone along this route? And clearly, Abraham hadn't. And didn't in this uh, in this situation, and he knew what the word of the Lord was saying to him, and yet he went against it, and so uh, brought tremendous difficulty into the whole situation. It's a real temptation for you and me to come up with our solutions to the problems God sends into our lives. Let's grasp that. Every situation that is in your life, why is it there? It's not there by chance. It's not there by bad luck. It's there in the sovereign purpose of a sovereign, holy God. And it's He, it's Christ not you, not me, not any other human being that holds the answer and has the solution to that problem. Let's notice then thirdly this morning 
the consequences or the results Abraham Abraham and Sarai reap the consequences or the results and if somebody's got a third P for consequences I'll accept it afterwards Okay, let's see how this solution that looks so good and it fits in with custom and practice and law and common sense but it proves to be a disaster for everyone involved. For Abram, for Sarai, for Hagar, for the entire human race. The implications of this action are still felt in our world today. That's how serious it was. Look at verse 4 and see how it damages the relationship between Hagar and Sarai. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. I'm better than you are. I can give Abram what you couldn't give him. And so she becomes haughty, Hagar does, in her attitude. She becomes self-important. And Sarai, meanwhile, begins to feel despised and rejected and second class and cast aside. And ultimately, the relationship between the two women becomes so bad that Sarai deals harshly with her. Look at verse 6. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The question is, when did this relationship between Hagar and Sarai begin to go wrong? And it was when Abraham and Sarai came up with their own solution. They actually sowed the seeds then for this relationship to go wrong. Then look at verse 5. And we see the damage it does in the relationship between Sarai and Abram as husband and wife. We've said already, this couple has been married for 40, 50 years. They've been living in the land of Canaan uh, for 10 years. We've been following their lives for that period. And for the first time, we read of accusation and recrimination between this husband and wife. Look at what Sarai says in verse 5. You are responsible. This is what she says to Abram. You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms. And now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. Isn't it an interesting quirk of our fallen, sinful human nature, though redeemed in Christ, that we can bring trouble into our own lives by the way we speak or the way we act and we want to point the finger at others and say, you are responsible for that. It was Sarai who came up with this suggestion. Yes, Abram went along with it, but she was the origin of it. And now she turns on Abram and she, she places the blame firmly 
upon him. There's a division. The Lord judged between you and me. That's an awful thing. To be said in a marriage. The Lord judge. The Lord decide who's in the right. That I'm in the right, that you're in the wrong. That's a really serious thing for a couple to say within a marriage. A couple that are one flesh and to say, let the Lord put apart what is joined together. Let the Lord take sides. Instead of the Lord being over us, he's got to come and take sides with one of us. And look at Abraham. He abandons his God-given duty. He's done it earlier when he should have brought the word of God to bear in the situation with Sarai. But now look at what he says in verse 6. Your servant is in your hands. Abraham, you're the head of this home. You're responsible for this home. You're a believer. What are you doing handing over responsibility to your wife? See the damage that's been done in relationships within the marriage? And then look at uh, verse 16. Sorry, chapter 16, verse 16. And you'll wonder why I read it at chapter 17 and verse 1 and stopped halfway through the verse. Well, it's because of this reason. Look at the damage in the relationship between Abraham and the Lord. This happened when Abraham was 86 years of age. That's when the son was born. And when did the Lord next speak to him? When he was 99. 13 years of silence. Doesn't mean that Abraham stopped to be a believer. Doesn't mean that the Lord's not caring for him and providing for him. But the word of the Lord does not come to this man with any freshness, with any with taking the purpose of God forward in his life. It's as if this man simply marks time for the next 13 years. That's how serious unbelief and disobedience is in the life of the believer. We fail to deal with the situation in our lives by the Lord's grace and in the Lord's, according to the Lord's word, and we deal with it in our own way. And we say, Lord, you're not going to be Lord over this part of my life, whether it's a relationship or some difficulty that's arisen in our lives. If we go that way, we run the risk of marking time in our spiritual lives. There's not growth, there's not development, there's not maturity for a period of years. That's a tragedy. And the Lord does not appear to him until 13 years later. 13 years of emptiness. 13 years of loneliness. 13 years of barrenness in Abraham's life following his unbelief and disobedience against the Lord. And then the final consequence that is still felt to this day is verse 12. Look at verse 12. The son that was born to this wrong relationship, what kind of a son will he be? He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against you. Sorry, against everyone. 
and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Ishmael and his descendants are going to be wild men, unpredictable men, fiery uh, men. And Ishmael is the father of the modern day Arab. And we know how volatile the Arabs are in our world. And you see, it's an outworking of the word of God spoken 4,000 years ago. And what tragedy and what sorrow and what suffering and what heartbreak has come to the world through Ishmael. Yes, no doubt, as much good has come through the Arab world. But think of the strife, the bitterness. So here's this apparent solution. And it has all of these consequences. What does it say to us? It's a warning to us. Psalm 19, we could have sung at the end of our service. It says, with warnings, they your servant guard at scriptures, and keeping them is great reward. This chapter is full of warning to us this morning. Not to do things ourselves. Our children were small. There was one of them in particular used to say, I do it myself. And so they stuck in, they tucked into the, the dish of food and it went all over the place. I do it myself. And that's the sad reality. When we say to the Lord, I do it myself. We say that to Christ our Savior. We reap sad consequences in our own lives. And we bring sad consequences to others. This affected not just Abraham and Sarah, but the whole this woman and the generations of humanity. We do not sin to ourselves. We do not do it by ourselves alone. We always impact others. And so I urge you this morning, if you are facing some problem in your life today, and you've struggled with it for years, and you feel, I'm at the end of my tether, and it's time that I did something about it myself, then I say to you, don't do something about it yourself. Take it again to Christ. Trust in Him with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. And if this morning you are in that place where Abraham was for 13 years, and your past actions have brought sad, tragic consequences into your life. What are you to do? You're to seek the Lord in repentance and confession. Cry to Him as we are singing with the boys and girls. 
And he will be a rock to you. He's the only one who, when we get into a mess, through our own actions, can sort out the mess of our lives. And so to him is always the praise and the glory. Amen. Let's for our heads. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord God, for the great salvation that is ours in Christ your Son. And we thank you that nothing in this world, nothing either that we do or nothing that anyone else does to us can rob us of that salvation, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But your word also teaches us that if we go the path of I will do it myself in my way, in my time without reference to you or your word that we do bring leanness into our own souls and we do bring suffering and we do bring misery and loneliness into our lives and into the lives of others. But we thank you that you do not allow us to continue in that state. We thank you that you did speak to Abram again. You didn't cast him aside. That after these long, lonely 13 years, you appeared to him again. And if there's any believer here today, Lord God, who's gone the way of Abram and Sarai, the path of their own solution to God's sent problem. Bring them, O Lord, to yourself, even now again. Speak to them again. Words of comfort. Words of reassurance. Words of forgiveness. As you did with Peter and others of the disciples in the New Testament. And Lord, we pray today that you would keep us in all the complexity of our lives, all the challenges of our individual circumstances. Keep us from living by faith and yet acting in unbelief and disobedience. Keep us, O oh Lord, from ourselves. Keep us from the world around us. Keep us from the devil. Keep us in your love and in faith and obedience and service. In Jesus, Amen.